Good afternoon. This is Quintus Curtius, February 27th, 2021. And this podcast is going to be about responsibilities and privileges. Pr- responsibilities and privileges. These are two co-equal things that need to be factored into any equation when you're in a leadership position. And to talk about this subject, I want to read a passage from a book. And then we're going to talk about it because this is a very important book for me, a book that I've liked very much, learned a great deal from this book since I first read it in the 1990s. And it's called Prisoners of the Japanese. About It's about POWs of World War II in the Pacific by the Australian writer Gavin Dawes, D-A-W-S. And it's a very, very good book. It, it's filled with anecdotes and stories of POWs, In World War II in the Pacific, Americans, British, Australians, Dutch, and how they survived in extreme adversity. So when we talk about our own adversities, and then when you read the stories of these guys, you find out that your adversities have nothing, have nothing on the adversities that these guys had to face and endure. They didn't have a choice. They did not have a choice. And this anecdote I'm going to read and discuss is by a POW named Forrest Knox, K-N-O-X, and he was an American. And he was, he found himself, uh, he, he was taken prisoner by the Japanese in the Philippines and he was transported on uh, ships ships that the Japanese, that, were, that came to be called hell ships. These were Uh, commercial ships that were outfitted to transport POWs. There was almost no attention paid in them to the care or comfort or even the minimal safety and security of of POWs. And they were literally, uh, literally hell ships uh, to an extent that you'll, you'll find out as I read this passage. So let me go ahead and read this. It's, it's, uh, it's going to take a few minutes, but it's important for you to get all of it. And then we'll talk about it and describe how it relates to the situation that we see today in our leaders today. All right. It starts out, it says, Manila Bay was full of Japanese ships, scores of them, strafed and bombed, blown apart, sunk or drifting in flames. But there were ships still in commission, and the Japanese were bound and determined to load them with their own civilian refugees and wounded troops and point them towards Japan. Send them out in convoy into an ocean filled with American submarine wolf packs under a sky controlled by American bombers. It was the flight by sea from Singapore in 1942 being replayed at Manila in 1944 in Japanese. Chomansai and Gyokusai on the upper decks and the holds jammed with POWs. Forest, in 90-degree Manila heat, wearing Japanese-issue cold-weather clothes, a winter trench coat with English buttons and a pair of hobnail boots. And with his burlap sack over his shoulder, had to go shuffling on his wood stumps of legs up the gangplank of the Hado Maru, a rusty little freighter that looked to weigh not much more than a thousand tons, overloaded already with forest and a thousand other white men staring down into the black hole of the holds. There were two holds, forward and rear, the floor was the floor of one was covered with horse droppings, the other with loose coal, sharp and dusty. Forrest drew the coal. 
He could not believe how many bodies the, the Japanese kept cramming in on top of him. The heat was fierce. Tropical sun beating down on the steel plates of the deck and no air circulating below. A POW doctor in Forrest's hold still had his clinical thermometer, and the mercury shot straight up to 108 degrees, the highest it would register. If it had been a cooking thermometer, it would have gone up past 120 degrees. Everybody shucked their cold-weather greatcoats and got down to G-strings. Forrest tied his towel around his head the way the Japanese did for a sweatband. After two days, the Haromaru's convoy still had not moved. The Japanese were not sending down anything like enough drinking water. The prisoners were raining sweat, and the sweat was starting to give off the stink of fear and madness. A man next to Forrest was making a scratching noise with his knife. He was working away at the hull. His plan was to get at the water outside. He had gone crazy, and he was driving Forrest crazy. He kept scratching all one day and into the next, and somewhere in those two days Forrest lost track of time. It was not his memory that went. What happened to him in the hold he remembered moment by moment for the rest of his life. It was only that he could not remember what happened when. He was curled up trying to sleep, but the man asleep next to him had long, lanky grasshopper legs that he kept throwing over him, until Forrest took out his belt and tied the legs together. Awake, Forrest had a raging thirst. Everybody did. A boy near him would not stop talking about water. Some place up in the mountains where he came from, with clear trout streams, pure springs bubbling out of the ground, it reached the point where Forrest had had a full canteen of water. He had smashed him, smashed him in the head with it to shut him up. Then Forrest let out a scream. His canteen was gone, stolen. If he did not get it back, he was dead. For the better part of a day, he kept his eyes glued to a rope the Japanese had hung down into the hold because everything went up and down that rope. Food, buckets of water, slop buckets, canteens. The canteens were supposed to be numbered by owner. That did not last. But Forrest was sure he would recognize his. Finally, he saw it coming down. And he saw a man pick it off. He struggled to get at him, wading through a swamp of bodies. Men were passing out from the heat all around him and sliding, out, sliding down out of sight. Other men were standing on bodies. And he had to step on to the bodies, feeling with his bare feet for the next step and the space he opened up would suck clothes behind him like a human quicksand. He cornered the thief. He could see the canteen was his. It had his etchings on it, done with a nail at Kabanatuan. He was ready to kill the bastard. The thief could see it in his eyes. He backed off and held out the canteen still full. It was all Forrest could do not to bash his skull in with it. Then he saw a man from Las Piñas sitting slumped with his skull bashed in, dead. And suddenly there were men going mad, charging at the bulkhead, trying to smash in their own skulls. A Navy chief tried to talk them down. A chaplain tried to pray them down. They would cower, but they would run some more, crashing into other men, howling like mad dogs. A colonel safe on deck shouted down the hatch that the Japanese were not going to put up with the howling. If it did not stop, they were going to cover the hold, meaning everyone would suffocate. 
Forrest had no intention of dying because of some howling madmen. No officers or doctors were doing anything. So men with guts were going, going to have to shut the howlers up, meaning kill them. Forrest summoned up the guts. He used his sweat towel, the way McKnight on the truck detail had taught him, the way it was done in the lunatic asylums. The only sound Forrest could hear while he was killing was a roaring in his own ears. When the hold was quiet, he was sick to his gut. The bodies were tied up to the rope and hauled up, twirling. They were thrown over the side, and the ship's screws made chum out of them. On the Harumaru, Forrest Knox knew he had to kill, and equally he knew he would not have had to kill. No one would have, if the POW officers had lived up to the responsibilities that went with their privileges. But all the colonel on deck did was shout safely down the hatch, and the officers in the hold did nothing but look after themselves. Then there was the Orioko Maru, the POW transport with the highest number of officers in the holds, more than a thousand, more than one in four of them field grade, and by far the highest proportion of officers to enlisted men, two to one. Yet of all ships, the Orioko Maru was the one where the worst, most uncontrollable madness broke out, and broke out earliest, starting on the very first night and turning into killing by the second night. More than a thousand American officers could not, or at any rate did not, summon up discipline enough to stop Americans from killing each other. So that's the passage. That's the passage. And the author goes on to speculate that POWs of all nationalities, British, Australians, Dutch, Americans, were all essentially subjected to the same egregious, severe conditions, but yet only Americans killed each other. Why is that? Why was that? Is it something about our culture, something about our society that we would rather not talk about? Is there something that's maybe too individualistic about how we do things? Is there something that, that maybe glorifies greed and glorifies individualism to an unhealthy extent? Who can say? Who can say? But it's something to think about. It's something to think about. But I, that's really not our purpose in this podcast. What I wanted to use this incident for was to talk about privileges and responsibilities. And this, this passage that I just read to you made a very, very strong impression on me when I first read it in the 1990s. And it's something I think about a lot. That in these extreme conditions, and undoubtedly these hell ships were extreme conditions, the officers who were tasked with being the leaders failed to do anything, failed to control their people, failed to even try, failed to even try. Now, I understand that in extreme conditions, discipline can break down. I get that. No one is perfect. No situation is perfect. But yet, it's pretty clear from the account that every, every man was looking after himself, that the officers, the leaders, were not doing anything to protect the people, protect the group. They were doing things to protect themselves. And this brings me to my point that I'm trying to make. What I see in our leadership today, and this is not just in the military, but also you see this in, in government, in industry, everywhere, everywhere. There is this perception that leaders 
are there to take care of themselves, that all they care about is taking care of themselves, and they don't care about the mission. They don't care about what's best for the, the, the mission, about the organization, about the society. They don't give a shit. All they care about is themselves. And this is such a destructive way of looking at things. And it's killing us. It's killing us. And I just see it all the time, all the time. One example of this that really rings powerfully in my mind is when you have these hearings that go on in Congress and you've got these generals that are there to testify about uh, you know, training of units and mixing men and women together in training. And they just, even the Marine generals, they just sit there and they go along with it and they never challenge it. And I know, and you know that, that they know that some of this stuff is, is wrong, is egregiously wrong. Well, what I'm referring to especially is mixing men and women together in basic training, mixing men and women training together as officers. This is wrong in my view. I strongly believe that men and women have different capacities, different capabilities. They have, they're very different physically, mentally, biologically. And mixing them together in training is an example of politically correct bullshit that we're going to pay a high, high price for because what it's doing is watering down the strength of the training. It's uh, effeminizing the training. It's making it weaker. It's making men weaker. It's making women uh, more delusional. It's very, very bad. It's very, very bad for, in my view, in my view. Now, there are those who may disagree. I don't care if you disagree, but this is my opinion. This is my opinion. And I know that many, if not all of those generals also agree. You just know. You, just, you can tell by their demeanor, by the environments they grew up with. But they're unwilling to say so because they know that to stand up for it, to speak the truth, to say the right thing, that they're going to put their own careers at risk. And they will not do that. They will not do that. And I submit to you, friends, I submit to you that that's your fucking job. That is your job. That's the only reason why a leader is there. The leader is there to take the bullet. The leader is there to take the hit. The leader's job is to stand up for his people and to stand up for what he should be standing up for to protect his organization, to protect the mission. That's his job. That's his only job. That's his only job. And if he can't do that, what the fuck kind of a leader is he? What kind of a leader is he? I would submit to you that he's a chicken shit. He's not worth anything. You know, there's a scene in this movie, you may have seen uh, the movie, um, I think it's called Margin Call. There's a scene where Jeremy Irons, it, towards the end of the movie, he asks his group, there's some bad news that's coming out, and he asks his assembled group of individuals there, um, do you know why I'm in this position? Do you know why why I'm here? I'm here for one reason. I'm here to make the, the hard call. I'm here to make the call. I'm not any, I'm not any more intelligent than you are, people is what he tells his people. I didn't get to where I am through my, my soaring intellect. I'm here for one reason. I'm the one that has the guts to pull the trigger. I'm the one that has the guts to make the call. And this is a very good statement, a very good illustration of a leadership principle that the leader is not there. The leader gets paid the big bucks. The leader gets paid. Uh, he gets the privileges because he's the one that has to take the fall if need be. That's what he's there for. And nobody wants to talk about that. Everyone wants to talk about the privileges. Oh, I've got the great BOQ room. I've got the benefits. I've got the salary. I've got the, all, all this. Well, guess what? You got all that stuff for a reason. You, all, you, got, you have all that stuff for one reason and one reason only. Because you're the one that's expected to carry the burden of responsibility. And if you can't do that, 
Get the fuck out of office. Go work at Kinney Shoes. Go work at fucking Kinney Shoes because you don't belong there. And this lesson, you would think, I, I always thought this was self-explanatory, but apparently not because the environment that I grew up in, that, that I was taught, you know, back in the, in the early 90s, in the Marine Corps, this is this is what we were taught. We this is this is this was second nature. This, there was no discussion. We didn't. De- this wasn't something you debated. This was understood. And yet, in dismay now, and we're in 2021. You look around, and none of these none of these people in office seem to have any clue about this. All of these senators and congressmen, all they care about is themselves. It, it looks like mayors, governors. All I see in the leadership scene of America in 2021 is this this philosophy. It's about me. It's about myself. It's about aggrandizing myself, my family, my bank account. And the mission be damned. The mission be damned. This is, this is, this is how they think. This is really how they think. And I want you to remember this anecdote that I read to you about Forrest Knox having to kill madmen in the hold of a Japanese ship, a hell ship, with a fucking towel because discipline broke down, order broke down because the officers were too chicken shit to fucking do anything. No one was willing to stick his neck out. No one was willing to tell the Japanese that, hey, you better do something or we're going we're gonna to do something here. They would have been better off going, going out fighting. They would have been better off you know, and this is this is something, maybe a special weakness in our society. I don't know. I happen to think so. I do. I do believe it. Although every nationality is is subject to the same human emotions as greed and fear, but yet we think that somehow these qualities that we've we've uh, elevated and 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 worshipped for so many decades are somehow good things. They're good things in some ways, but there's a bad side as well. And for far too long, we've emphasized the good sides and neglected to call attention to the bad sides. So the lesson here is if you're a leader, if you're in any sort of leadership position, whether it's civil, municipal, military, corporate, leadership or uh, business, whatever it is, you are there to do something. You are not there for yourself. And if you can't handle that, you have no business being in that position. Leadership brings with it responsibilities. It brings with it responsibilities. And your only job is to take the hit. Your job is to take the bullet. Your job is to take the hit for your people, if need be. That's what you're there for. That's what you do. That's all you do. And if you can't do that, go work at Kinney Shoes.